Hello traders, welcome to the Options Trading Podcast, where we will talk about markets and options trading strategies. My name is Ivan Chirilov, and I'm the Managing Director of TradeFloor, and with me is my co-host Graham O'Brien, who is the Managing Director of Equity Derivative Sales at ASX. Graham, why don't you tell us about what we will talk about today? Thanks, Ivan. We're set for a big week in the markets uh, this week. We've invited a couple of friends of ours from VFS Group to really look at uh, what's going on in the world and how to trade around some of the events that will be occurring this week. Um, to help us is both Kieran Neeson, a portfolio manager at VSFS Group, and James Whelan, investment manager and head of communications at VFS Group. Uh, for those of you who don't know about VF- VFS, uh, they are a diversified full-service financial advisory firm that specialise in self-managed super fund setup and administration, financial planning, wealth management, and insurance. A big part of the business is focused around managing share portfolios both inside and outside of super. Gentlemen, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Graham. Thanks, Graham. So I thought that we would start looking at the index. Um, again, we'll start with a macro view. Kieran wanted to tee off first with a few things. I'm going to talk about, I'll talk about sort of general generics. Kieran, you talk about numbers. Thanks, thanks, James. No um, and thanks again, Ivan, for having us on, on the program. Um, yeah, look, the, the market has uh, enjoyed a very strong run, as we all know, since uh, Trump came into parliament uh, back in November which uh, brought the ASX 200 up towards um, highs that we haven't seen since 2015. Psychological 6,000 barrier is still eluding us, however, um, and we've now started to, to pull back a little bit, which is quite interesting given, given the timing um, of, of the pullback, obviously, over the, the Easter break. There was a bit of a risk-off attitude um, here domestically that uh, led to uh, a little bit of selling pressure on, on Friday, and that has resumed again today after the US and North Korea have, have been going back and forth. I'll, I'll leave James to fill you in a bit more on that. But um, it's interesting because markets tend to be quite weak in throughout the May-June period um, and you know have been known to peak around mid to end April uh, over the past several years. So that may be playing right down to a T again, and, and um, uh, which is, you know, I mean, as, as I've said before in the past markets, don't uh, always repeat themselves, but but they do rhyme from time to time, and uh, we very well may see that start, start to pull back a bit. And there's a few technical levels to the downside that the market is flirting with testing uh, around the 5800 level. There's there's um, uh, some some support there. Um, whether that will hold or not will, will, is yet to be seen. But um, again, that that 6000 level is is still just a little bit too hard for it to break through at present. Um, our overall, overall view is that we, we will give that number a crack at some stage throughout this year and, and I think we'll personally break through there but um, it's just a matter of when so um, looking at things from a bit more of a, uh, a macro view um, James uh, gives a bit of insight into what's been happening with yeah, North I th- Korea I think, and, and I think that at some stage in 2017 we'll give the 6,000 number a crack locally um, I don't see any reason for that to be happening within the next few weeks and I think that if there's a rhyme if there's a rhyme to help you with the trading, like selling may and go away, then uh, there's no reason to disagree with that this time. That seasonality seems to be uh, seems to be ticking along as as it should do based on uh, on the historics. So, but in the S and P last night was a very interesting uh, example. the The world was expecting nuclear war over the Easter break. Oh, come um, on, not nuclear. No, no, <laughs> mate, come on. They've got they've, they moved they moved a, 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 an aircraft carrier off the coast of North Korea. The USS Carl Vincent um, that was on. A couple of Mondays ago, last Monday, um, 
I know that because I was in Hong Kong when all that when, when all that happened, and I had to change everything I was going to talk about on, on on Bloomberg to something else. But um, uh, th- that's a lot of machinery to be off the coast, and then you've got so now Korea, obviously, with the uh, the anniversary of you know the, the, their founder, whose name is I'm not even going to look it up at the moment. It's been too big for this <laughs> one. But uh, look, so there's a lot of saber rattling and a lot of back and forth that's going on. But they're expecting global nuclear war over the weekend. Didn't happen. So in the US, as Everything else sets to a default. It's a buying opportunity, and the US was up the overnight. Definitely as well. didn't, didn't price in a nuclear war, though. I mean, volatility. I think it was still... it was it was it was in a risk off mode leading into it, and I don't think anyone wanted to be holding any big positions over that over that break. Closing Thursday, um, America dropped the bomb on Afghanistan. The mother of all bombs. Uh, the mother of all bombs. Yeah, of course. So obviously, that caused a little bit of stress. Um, yeah. The it, market. Does it feel? Does it feel? As if the, the you know how everyone talks about usually they talk about inflationary things and yield curves and and uh, jobs numbers and all sorts of things. It seems like that's over the last couple of weeks just sort of taken away. No one's really caring as much as they should about that. And definitely it is on more geopolitical events. Um, who's moving things where? You've got an election in France. We'll talk about that in a second. Coming up, mm-hmm. that's a big risk. That's a big risk to the euro. That's a big risk to France. You've got the US, you've got a very unpopular president in, in, in Trump, um, down in the approval ratings, who's sent an aircraft carrier to the, what is potentially one of the biggest hot hotbeds in the world at the moment. You tell me what's uh, that, that's taken the market's attention at the moment, and that's where it's going to be. Don't even worry about China. Yeah, I think it has taken the market's attention in the States. Just looking at the VIX over in the States compared to Australia, looking at, at trading about two vol points higher in the United States than it is in Australia. So... It's definitely um, being more mindful in the States just as a result of VIX being just that little bit higher than what we're experiencing in Australia. It was up uh, 22% last week, although it fell 8% on Monday. Yeah, so don't try trading it, just watch it yeah. on that one. It's although a, although low volume day, obviously, with, with most markets closed. It's, it's, easy to, it's easy to start moving the markets around on days like that. It is, it is indeed. Um, What's next? You want to be looking at France at the moment? Just before we go on to that, um, I know you wanted to chat a little bit about Obamacare um, and how important that is. Uh, the, the, the only importance that I see for that being now um, with the healthcare reforms that they were trying to get through is that what happened before is that, is that they tried to get it through, they were, they, were, they were soundly rejected in trying to get their reforms through that they said was going to be a core promise and a core thing that they were going to change. Um, now you've got an unpopular president um, who it, it and this is a little bit of a conspiracy scandal theory, so I'll try not to be too inflammatory with what I say. But when a president goes and sends an aircraft carrier to a different part of the world, and then he becomes the commander in chief, and everyone's saying, "Oh well, now he's become the president because he's actually he's, he's 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 blowing up countries and he's dropping the mother of all bombs and he's got aircraft carriers at his disposal," so it might be the time when he wants to start talking about tax reform because he's rising up in the popularity and it's very difficult to vote against or go openly against a president who's, who's starting to act more like the commander-in-chief. Strategically, that's, that's where I see this as going. As much as I'd like to say that he's doing this for world peace and world safety, um, we're talking about Donald Trump here. That's all I'll say. <laughs> Although last Wednesday he did say that he wants to repeal that and replace it before he moves on to tax reform. I don't think it's a priority right now that we're looking at and, and, and I think that probably it's better to look at um, what potentially is going to be happening with, with tax reform um, at, the, at the minute. What is, is very important, just back, on the, uh, back on, the, on the numbers in the US, is that it looks like the US numbers aren't sustaining 
the rapid increase in interest rates by the Fed that a lot of people were factoring in. Mm-hmm. And so we could be heading back towards that nice, easy sort of level of, 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 of slower increases in the, in the interest rates because, you know, the, the, the economy isn't there to, 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 to support um, the rapid increase, um, which is a bit of a back-in-the-old-Goldilocks scenario of, of, you know, softly, softly from the Fed. Um, and so it, maybe it doesn't matter about tax reform, maybe it doesn't matter about um, whether or not he can get uh, what he needs to do through Congress, and it's actually back to the old, you know what, <clears throat> the economy is just going to keep on going with nice low interest rates and, and, and those stocks are going to be supported, from a market perspective, mm. that is. Mm. Anyway, Le Pen? This is scary. So what's getting, happening getting now? Close, I've, been, I've been bullish, we've been bullish and openly bullish on, on France for the last few weeks. Um, we see Le Pen is not being a threat, she'll, she'll get to the second round um, and then she'll be defeated in the second round by uh, Macron, who was uh, top of the top of the pops over there, with uh, on March is the name of the political party that is there. And reading up on on that party and the structure that they've that they've got in place, they've got new candidates, rookie candidates. It seems a little bit um, shaky, a little bit unstable. But what's amazing is that the communist um, the, the communist candidate uh, Melancon. I'm not going to try and do the French Melancon. Um, he's risen up to, to being. He's now about twenty percent in the polls. Now, this is, this is a real risk-off scenario that's going on. Before, it was going to be Macron. Macron will win. Then they go through to the second round in May, mm-hmm. uh, uh, towards the end of May, I think it was there. But the, um, and that would be fine because all the votes and, you know, for, the, for, the, for the regular serious parties um, flow through to Macron. Macron then wins, and France is great. Europe is solved, get involved. The, uh, what we now see is this communist candidate is coming up through there. He, it could, he may very well win... Um, in the first round, and then you've got a potential scenario of Le Pen, extreme right versus the communist of Melanchon, and then you, we would see probably the euro drop 10% if that was the case, because it was going to be one of them, um, and that would be the, the continuance of the end of the EU, and uh, as we see. Um, and so we're seeing we are encouraging a bit of a risk-off for the moment, temporary risk-off, um, get out of the, uh, get out of the, uh, the French banks, um, position and things like that that we were really confident in and it starts to be now this is it probably doesn't affect us from the day-to-day talking point that's there but all of a sudden there's a reason to be out of the markets in France there's a reason to be out of the markets in Australia there's potentially a reason to be to be out of the markets in, in different parts of the world that global global funds shifting to uh, global funds shifting to cash increases volatility volatility that increases more um, uh, more people switching to cash Global funds move a little bit, and then all of a sudden you see this market uh, market peel back potentially. So, do you guys actually have any exposure in France? And if so, how do you do that? Yeah, on some of our on some of our managed accounts and some of our directly uh, direct accounts too, they invest directly and are holding the stocks. So that's that's done via our back office team. Uh, the, the back office crew is uh, is Pershing, and it's done through the Pershing Global Network um, that we utilise there as well. So they're actually holding. It's not it's not a you know a, a synthesised uh, position. They're actually are holding BNP Paribas and Credit Agricole um, on those uh, on those accounts, and and which is a good exposure to Europe. Um, we have to hedge the euro position because we didn't want to be a part of that. But that's a that's a whole different conversation. Now, um, just going back to France, so voting is on the 7th of May, um, and for the first time, um, the polls have shown Le Pen to be equal first with Macron at 22% each. That's all first round, though. That's first round. It's, it it's is, all first, it is round. first round. Yeah. However, no one predicted Donald Trump winning either. I'll settle down. <laughs> 
what we see, what we see is 2000, the 2016 polling was all over the shop, and and it really was. And everyone knew Brexit was wrong, Trump was wrong. People just didn't know what was what was coming out at any particular time. Right now, we see that polling is much more accurate. It seems to be in line. People are people are not afraid to say you know say who they're going to be voting for. We also see that um, so they got it right in Holland, for example. The polling showed that that was going to be the result, and it was. It wasn't a shock to the right. Um, and we see that if the polling says that it's going to be this, then give or take those the, a few percent error margin, it's it's going to be in line. So we're still confident with the polling in, in, in France at the moment. But yes, it is scary what's what's coming up in the uh, in the first round. But it's all about that second round. Now, what we're saying, and we'll reiterate, it's all about who gets through that first round. If it is a communist candidate, Melanchon, then game over and and clear all positions and just let the uh, see what happens when the dust settles. So um, one interesting. Thing that I saw over the weekend was um, the spread um, between the French and German interest rates. Um, the gap was almost the highest level since 2012. Yep. Um, that's a two-year French and German uh, debt difference, and that was up at 41 basis yes. points. You said here, so the average, so the average according to Deutsche Bank, and this is I'm, I'm taking your words here, Ivan. You've jotted down here, which is great. What the average between 2013 and 2016, the average on the yield gap um, on the two-year debt amounted to less than 10 basis points. So where did you say it was now? 41. Yep. So it's four times, and you see this as being a, a risk indicator? Uh, yep, generally. Uh, so as soon as, I mean, bonds are, interest rates are a great instrument to watch when uh, you look at risk on or risk, <coughs> risk factors coming in. Um, there's obviously a bit of a premium for French interest rate. Okay. Would you agree with that, Graham? Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Kieran, you got anything on that? No, no, I'll, I'll, I'll take your word for it. Look, I mean, it's, it's, it's the, um, I, I agree in the sense that bonds are obviously yeah, an indicator which should be, you know, which should be looked at if you are involved in any kind of financial market. But um, the spread between the French and the uh, German bonds is actually not an area of my expertise, to be honest. So really? Come on. <laughs> I'll take your word for it. Fair enough. Well, um, looking forward to this week. There's really not that much in the in the way of economic numbers coming out. Um, we've got retail sales out of UK. Um, they're all, always quite varied anyway. Um, however, IMF meeting coming up uh, over the weekend, um, one of two meetings that they have. Um, Greece. Greece is coming back onto the radar. Pass. <laughs> Regardless, there is a new loan that is required to be paid by July. Talks are still in... Uh, in progress, Christine Lagarde says that they're halfway done. Is it a threat? Is it a threat? Um, I'll, I'll I'll jump in on this one, mate. I, look, I I think with Greece, it the, it'll always be that sort of small dog with a big bark in in, in the park overall. Um, I, I personally don't think it's really going to rattle the market's cage all that much. I think there's a few other things going on that are a bit more important. True. Chinese GDP came out better than expected on Friday. US reporting kicks off as well. When doesn't um, when doesn't Chinese GDP come in better than expected? It was a little bit well, better. Than, it, sometimes it's in line. No. Or it's a, is it a line? No, this was a little bit better than expected, right? <laughs> no one was expecting that. It was actually, it was actually first, uh, first back-to-back beats they've had in, in several years. So um, they've been plateauing and decreasing mildly, but it seems like um, there could be early indication, a bit early to ring the bell, but uh, that, that they are starting to head towards that, you know, the, the higher end of the range that they've, um, uh, that they've said to the market that they're targeting, which is between about 68 and 7.1 or something of that effect. 
Um, so as long as it stays around that level, um, I think that's going to be an overall positive sign for, for markets globally. Shouldn't be too much reason to um, for markets to, to sell off on the back of that, obviously. So um, look, with, with regards to Greece, especially if uh, Christine Lagarde is coming out and saying that they're halfway done, I think that's, um, if you look at, at historically how these negotiations have progressed over time, halfway done is great already. So um, I don't think that it'll be it'll be too much for the market to um, to shake off. Should it, you know, should should there be some hiccups along the way? Um, don't think we, we see sort of too much risk at this stage. But who knows with Greece? It's a you know been a basket case for years, so anything could change. I think I think that there's bigger things on right now that are taking the. Greece was a thing when there wasn't anything else going on and it was a potential indicator to the end of the EU and maybe they should be kicked out. I think that the EU has been shaken up so much now that Greece putting uh, throwing itself in there it's not really, you know, it's only it's 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 a very small it's a very small percentage. Although when time. that didn't happen last time Greece got absolutely it's a, on the back of Greece the markets got slaughtered. There wasn't anything else going on at that time. It was it was the, but that was the start of the that was the start of the euro scare. Of, of, of the euro rattling now the euro is so rattled like this is just another thing um, and, and yet the markets are a lot higher the wheels have already fallen off so yeah. anyway but that's it uh, just to, just confirming the French election dates the first round is the 23rd of April uh, second round 7th of May yep okay so just beware of those particular risk dates that are going on there if something is if you if you walk in one day and something's going on um, just double check those dates so how are you? How are you positioning your books around around the next couple of weeks um, in particular? What have you guys got on? There's no no shame in going to cash for me at a, from an international point of view. But Kieran's probably got something a little bit more specific. Yeah, just uh, focusing more on the options side of things, Ivan. Uh, it's a big part of our business and, and something that that I trade personally um, uh, quite often myself. Um, and just going back to the seasonality of, of, of the market, you know, looking at the uh, the big four banks are always going to be an area that investors are going to turn to for either investing or trading opportunities. Um, going into the next few weeks, you've got ANZ, Westpac and NAB all paying dividends towards the middle uh, or around the, the, the middle of May. Uh, CBA is not. Um, and if you if you look at, at how these stocks have performed historically over the late April in towards the June period, that sort of six to six to eight week block, um, they do tend to pull back a bit. So given how markets, um, ha- how hard they've run, we are actually anticipating uh, a little bit of weakness to come into this sector. Um, we don't have an over bearish view on any of those stocks, but I think given that CBA has gone from $70 to 86 and a half uh, in the space of, uh, you know, of, of a few months, wouldn't be surprised if you, if you saw the stock pull back to the $80 region or thereabouts, and then it's probably going to be met with some buying like it has been um, you know, quite, quite consistently. So we've constructed uh, an options trade um, for our clients on CBA, uh, where we're basically, it's, it's a type of calendar spread, but pr- probably not the usual construction that, you, that you'd use that, that strategy for. Uh, but effectively, we're buying a 80, an $85.66 June put, and then we're selling a September 72.01 put against it. So buying pretty much at the money, slightly out of the money, and then looking for a move back down towards that $80 region um, for, over the course of the next. It's, it's a June-September um, trade, but ideally we'd like to be out of that in, in the next few weeks. So if, if, the, if the seasonal weakness did kick in as we're anticipating, ideally we'll be out of this trade within the next month or so. And if the market is, you know, if it does start to come off, um, you know, you may see CBA underperform mildly over the next few weeks due to the fact it doesn't have that yield support right at, you know, at this present moment in time. 
The other three are all paying dividends. Might give investors that little bit more of a reason to hold them and therefore a little bit more of an edge over CBA. So if the stock does start, if that sector starts to come off, we'd expect CBA to, to push back down towards that $80 region. Um, technically, I think it may find a bit of support there. But So is that your exit point, 80 or in a month? Uh, well, look, I mean, if, if it reaches there, it'll depend on obviously how quickly, uh, you know, how much volatility is increased between when we got into the trade and, uh, the delta on the position, and you know, the, it did have about a 0.35 or 0.4 initial delta. So that's obviously going to increase if CBA do fall. Um, so we'll review it as we go. But as a in the next couple of weeks, if it did reach there, um, that would show a reasonable profit for clients. So we definitely look at at holding it. Although there are still, you know, close to there would be close to a couple of months left in the trade. There's no need for us to hold it right up until expiry. Uh, we're looking for a short term move, in, ideally within the next four weeks. Well, we'll be uh, keeping a close eye on the uh, what's happening today board in the game. Yeah, that's okay. Not a problem. Um, do you want to talk a bit more about that strategy in itself? And um, uh, and, I, and I, I do want to move into talking about um, implied volatility in a second. Um, but just in terms of that trade, I mean, what, what are the benefits? I mean, that's a reverse calendar, which isn't something that's common. So It's not something that's common, but... Especially if you're thinking that there's going to be a short, sharp movement in Commonwealth Bank just over the next couple of weeks, you're going to find that that short-term option in the June option is going to have a much larger change in volatility than the longer-term option in the September option. So because you're long that short-term option in this particular strategy, a spike in volatility is actually going to help this strategy more than impede it, only because your longer-term option probably not going to spike up as much in volatility as the shorter term option. Reason being is that volatility is one of these mean reverting things. So we're talking about two options that one's three months till expiry, another one's six months until expiry. The market will expect that volatility would hopefully have been reverted in that September option by the time it comes around. So a big spike in volatility is probably going to help this strategy more than be negative for it. So Mm-hmm. Um, often with a big fall in a market, volatility spikes significantly. So uh, everything's in the favour if we do see a fall in Commonwealth Bank. If we don't, then I'd say we'd probably also want an exit strategy that if it doesn't start falling, then when do we take our losses and, uh, and move on to the next trade? Um, I think you were talking about a two-month period there that even if the market hasn't moved, then you might want to start thinking about something else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's, that, that's, that's exactly right, Graham. And, and, and we do have exit strategies on all these positions, uh, whether they go for us or against us. So um, it's with options, obviously, due to the nature of, of, uh, of the way they work, um, it's near impossible to have uh, a, a, a stop loss, which is defined as an actual number, um, so, you know, we, we, as we watch these stocks on a daily basis, the, um, when we enter into these positions for clients, we, we basically allocate a portion of their portfolio to, um, as a percentage towards these sorts of trades. So the risk will be, will be quantified in, in, in itself um, just by that way. But obviously, you know, we want to try and avoid the worst case scenario, even if it is quantified. Um, and the best way for us to do that is, is, is just by monitoring the position really and um, technically, I think if CBA did push higher, uh, it would head into overbought territory pretty quickly. But you know, at, at the same time, we we would still be very diligent with with exiting should we feel like we're on the wrong side of it. So, and you're a long term holder of CBA, so uh... I am. I'm a long term holder since it's float. So. <laughs> <laughs> Not a bad trade. <laughs> Keep holding forever. Yeah. 
Um, and that does bring us into a game question that came up, um, which was quite a good one. On the stock screener, uh, we publish a number called the IV rank. And the question was, um, specifically in that case, was what does 58 IV rank actually mean? Well, what it actually means is uh, it's effectively the IV percentile, and 58 means that the stock is in the 58th percentile of the implied volatility over the last 52 weeks. And that's the at the money implied volatility. Um, so what Tradeflow does is it effectively calculates a VIX index across every single stock. And instead of giving you a random number which says, okay, well, volatility is 20 or 30% or whatever, it actually puts it into perspective um, against the last year of trading. So an IV rank is very important when uh, when you're positioning your trades. And as Graham mentioned, implied volatility is generally mean reverting. So when IV rank is sitting in its higher percentiles, you generally look to sell options um, or find spreads that are going to be, uh, that are going to benefit from uh, lower implied volatility coming up. And when implied volatility is low, then you look to do it um, to go the opposite way um, and buy options. Now, last week's winner uh, was Sandeep, um, and he had a synthetic short position of a Fortescue on Maya, um, and both of those had actually quite low IV ranks. Now, his strategy wasn't really impacted by implied volatility. Uh, however, he probably could have made even more money if he, uh, if he looked at the, the vol because there were some decent spikes uh, in Fortescue in particular. Um, last week, which was quite interesting, Telstra was the, was the, was the biggest mover in, in implied volatility jumped 43 percent which um no surprise there really um where was that coming from on the if we back tested telstra on the iv ranking uh it oh uh, good question it went from relatively low i think it was trading 10 or 20 um to 94 okay. so it's trading in the highest it's been for 52 weeks in terms of volatility um, BHP, Fortescue, and Bluescope were the other movers with uh, big, sky, big, big spikes in, uh, in 12%. So we'll um, have to see CBA as one of those <laughs> the next couple of weeks. So let's pull up CBA, see we're sitting <laughs> on the IV ranking. And, uh, and, uh, we'll, we'll talk about it on Monday. Now, our listeners are going to be quite interested about VFS as a company. Um, can you just tell us a little bit more about that? So uh, you guys do have a very unique model, so can you just talk a bit more about that? Yeah, sure, Ivan. Um, uh, VFS has been around since 2010 and, and uh, the, the firm was created with the idea to provide a holistic um, service to clients. So instead of just being a, a traditional broker, we have experts that, that work in that area. Uh, but we are also, um, as, as uh, Graham stated before, we, we are an accounting firm. Uh, we are an insurance broker. So we set up self-managed super funds, deal with the administration, and then basically tailor an investment strategy um, uh, based on any one individual's risk profile and uh, within the service offering that we have we can cover pretty much all bases so um, it's it's a, a, a bit of a one-stop shop in that respect and um, we just going back to the options so I'm sure that's probably going to be a question of yours how we basically integrate that into the business but um, we use them a lot uh, to hedge portfolios and basically as a lot of our clients are within that self-managed super or you know heading towards retirement within that that age demographic um, it's important, you know, for them to basically preserve capital if they can, and uh, options are a great way to do that. Um, outside of that, obviously, we, you know, we do some directional stuff, like we mentioned on CBA. So, 
Uh, there's the protective element of it and there's also the trading side of it. And when we use the trading side of it to basically enhance portfolio returns outside the way of picking up dividends and franking credits and things like that too. So uh, that's an area that we actually specialize in um, within the options market. Um, we're one of the, the bigger retail um, uh, brokers uh, in uh, in Australia and um, we see that you know they're not suitable for any one individual. But again, that's why we go through that thorough process of determining somebody's risk profile, having a look at where they are in their stage of life and seeing if options can be integrated in there somehow. <laughs> you covered off everything. <laughs> <laughs> That's VFS in a nutshell. That was the full spiel. That was the full spiel. I've, I've, I've been at the firm since it started and, and uh, you know, so I, I know the company inside out and um, happy to obviously talk about it. And don't, um, don't forget the intelligent uh, international exposure that you can gain through the... Uh, uh, a global macro fund uh, that uh, we'll talk about that later. This time. It's, it's completely irrelevant to the options market here, but that's all right. One thing you didn't cover though: how do people get in touch with you? Yeah, thanks, Graham. Um, good, good question. And uh, the the best way to get in touch is either by visiting our website, which is www.vfsgroup.com.au, uh, and click on the About Us tab, and there you will find contact details. Uh, alternatively, if you'd like to flick us an email, info at vfsgroup.com.au is the best way to do that. That's about all we have time for this week. Uh, we will be answering more trading questions, so keep them coming over to uh, either our email, hello at tradeflow.com.au, or tweet them to our handle at the trade floor for those, for those of you that are on Twitter secretly. Um, thank you very much again to our guests, Kieran Neeson and James Whelan from VFS Group for coming in today. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Ivan. Thanks, Graham. Thank you. And Graham and I will be back next week for an exciting show where we will reveal next week's winner. Um, and we will speak to Evan Maguire and Henry Fung from Ascot Securities and get their ideas and views on the market. We hope you can join us then. Thank you very much.